everybody. This is an HHW LOD special edition on the Star Wars saga. So tonight we're going to start and, and talk about the Phantom Menace, Star Wars Episode One. Uh, and this is a, this is a cross network endeavor. So this is Russ, and with me tonight are Craig, hey guys, Jim, and Frank. Hello. Hey, it's Frank. Hey guys, how are you? Good, good. So we got a pretty good cross section uh, of 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 multiple podcasts. And Frank, we haven't heard from you in a while because half hour wasted is kind of kind of uh, catches catch can lately. Yeah, we we're we're in hiatus mode. So um, you know, I'm well, I'm we're, we will be back. <laughs> we're yes. just in hiatus. Yes, yes. Um, but it's good to hear your voice. It's glad that you could join us, uh, Bill. May be on, may not be on. We're joking off the air that Bill will probably email us five minutes after we stop recording and say, hey, I'm ready to be on. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, like I mentioned at the start, we're going to do six episodes in fairly quick succession, uh, culminating, and I'm sure we'll all get together and want to talk about episode seven, uh, The Force Awakens, as soon as it as it airs and we see it, because we'll all be super hyped and super excited, and hopefully uh, with big old grins on our faces after watching it, um, we hope. I heard it's true, Um, all of it. Yeah. But we thought we'd just kind of talk about uh, the first six movies, and and not so much about the movies. I mean, we were talking offline as well. There's not much more we can say about those movies, uh, any of the six of them. Uh, You know, at this point, they've been... You you've seen them a hundred times. We've they've been talked to death. You know it's not like we're gonna do a plot by plot and point by point analysis of each of these six movies and you know give the listeners anything that uh, that they haven't heard a hundred a hundred times before themselves. Uh, so what we wanted to do is just kind of talk about, uh, especially for the Phantom Menace, because I think uh, you know this will be one of those more about the experience than the movie itself. Uh, I think that's kind of a universal thing. Um, but I, you know, the movie came out in, in May of 1999. Uh, we hadn't gotten a, we hadn't had a Star Wars movie since, uh, 1983. Uh, we had the, the, the re-releases in 97. Um, but we really hadn't had, it was kind of a dark period, uh, pun intended for, for Star Wars at that point. I mean, things other than the EU novels that were coming out pretty regularly, uh, and some comics that were, were coming out there sporadically from Dark Horse, uh, there wasn't really like even the action figure line had died down. You know, most of everything had pretty much been like on a hiatus or on the back burner as far as that property goes. And then uh, the special editions kind of proved actually it was it was kind of Jurassic Park uh, that got the wheels turning in Lucas's head to say, hey, we can do CG stuff that actually looks real. And it's kind of kind of got his wheels turning. And then we got the special editions. And at that time, he was cranking up episode one. So everybody was waiting with breathless anticipation, uh, kind of like we were, you know, in the in the most recent months, uh, for the trailer to come out for episode one back in at the end of '98, and the internet was still kind of in its infancy, and this was the first, like I would say, definitely the first movie phenomena that hit the internet um, and forced people to, you know, download a trailer. I mean, you know, just kind of like the most recent trailer, it's set it's set records. It, where did you guys? Uh, and we'll, you know, we'll just kind of go round table. Um, where did you guys first, you know, see the trailer? Was it, was it online? Was it in the theater? Did, you know, did you run out to the theater and, uh, see meet Joe or try and see, uh, Joe black to, um, <laughs> to, to, you know, to, to get it or, um, you know, what kind of what, uh, Frank, we hadn't heard from you in a while. So why don't, why don't you start? Yeah. You know, that's, that's a good question. When you're bringing up, I was trying to remember 
where I did see it, and actually, guys, I think I may have seen it at work. You see, at the time, I was working for a company called Tracy Lock, an ad agency, and they had the Lay's potato chip contract, which had a tie-in with Phantom Menace. And they had a room that was on lockdown where all the people who were doing all the artwork on it uh, were um, – uh, they, they they were uh, they were working on just on on all the Phantom Menace stuff, so nobody was allowed in that hallway if you weren't on that project, and it was really like high security. I remember uh, at one point some photos had gotten out online of the potato chip bags, and um, and they they ended up like changing the locks on the door or something like that uh, to that particular room, but I never got to see anything until. The movie actually came out, and actually the company took all of us out uh, the first day to go see it. Um, but I don't remember where I saw the trailer. I think I may have seen it on tape in one of the viewing rooms uh, at Tracy Locke. God, it's been so long, I can't even remember. What about you, uh, Jim? Uh, I saw. I downloaded it overnight from a BBS. <laughs> uh, I was still on BBS at that point because I refused. Get your Prodigy account going, Jim. I, I was not into <laughs> AOL at the time. AOL, okay. I was just GeoCities was just starting up uh, at that point, and I was <laughs> using a local BBS in Pittsburgh. I downloaded it overnight. I think it was like a real player file, maybe, or a, a really oh like choppy gosh! real media. Yeah, so baby. Real sounds media. legit. It was like yeah, really man. bad quality yeah. video. It was like the FMV from like uh, the old C- Sega CD video games. <laughs> it was like that kind of quality. And it was like skippy and like buffering and everything. And it was like maybe a quarter of the size of my screen. And I'm like kind of squinting, trying to watch it and stuff. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that kind of looks cool i guess that one blur looked good let me play that again i ended up watching it like five or six times in a row and then uh but yeah i remember very distinctly like the first time watching it just it being like really grainy skippy um like a uh, video conversion i guess of the actual theatrical trailer um but yeah that was that, the first time i saw it i actually don't remember seeing the trailer at all i was i graduated high school in 99 so at that point i was just starting to drive i was getting into into girls you know i was just too cool for school back then so i did get excited right before the movie came out we'll talk about that i guess in a few seconds as far as where we saw it and getting in line and all that kind of stuff but i really don't remember seeing the trailer for it i knew it was coming out I think I saw the special editions in the theaters, but I don't remember. Um, but I did get ramped up as we're getting closer to the to the release date, and I was pretty pretty hyped to see it when it did come out. Yeah, I I was fortunate enough at work. We're all a bunch of nerds at work. Um, I was working with my buddy Glenn, which uh, Frank, you haven't met my buddy Glenn, but but Jim, you've you've yes, met Glenn. I have. Um, and uh, I, man, I hope I hope I can get him on for one of these episodes because uh, you know. Both of us have have a lot of experience, especially with episode one and two, just kind of seeing it together and just kind of being, uh, you know, being a part of that. And uh, we had decent bandwidth at work. We're all a bunch of nerds. And so we, you know, we were able to, to download and, and watch it and watch it like over and over and over again. Uh, and I remember just how it was it was really exciting because, again, there hadn't been anything new in, you know, over 15 years uh, at that point. And. I mean, say what you will about the movie, and, and, and you know, I'm sure we'll get into a bit of that, but 
Man, that trailer was awesome. I mean, you watched that trailer and you were like, this is going to be the greatest movie I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, it opened up with that pod racing chase and, you know, you're just seeing all these images flash by. And, you know, when you first get a glimpse of Darth Maul, you're just like, you know, there's Jedi, you know, using lightsabers and, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. And you're just like, you're just completely blown away. While you were talking, Russ, I went ahead and I, and I brought it up and I was actually rewatching it. And I can remember just all these shots. And it's like, yeah. I remember getting excited about it. Yeah. Wow. It, it, but yeah, and, and Jim, it's funny you bring that up because I remember that, you know, those are the days, you know, for those of, of you young ones out there that are listening to this, yep. you know, back in the early days of, of trailers online, you had to like choose your format. It's like real player, quick time, yeah. or, that was it. um, you know, you know, just, you know, AVI, you know, using okay. some proprietary yeah. format. Um, and if you didn't have the right software installed, you, you couldn't, you couldn't do it. And it was a bummer because if you didn't realize you didn't have the right software installed, uh, you would spend three hours downloading a file that you couldn't even watch because you had to go download another piece of software that took probably another 30 minutes to download as well. When you say download, Um, this is dial up we're talking about folks. This this is is, no no broadband. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, remember, yeah, I, mean, I remember distinctly, um, like anytime I would load a file as long as that, because I lived in the city at that point. I live like pretty much right down, almost in downtown Pittsburgh. That anytime there would be a like a burp or a chirp in the line or whatever, it would mess up the video file. Yep, so I'd be missing yeah. like a few frames <laughs> every now and then in, in the file itself. Yes, remember the old days of the internet, everybody. Remember how much we had to suffer just to watch a trailer. I mean, isn't it crazy to think that we used to, uh, you know, you couldn't use the telephone if you wanted to be on the internet? And yeah, yep. there were only so we many had, ports you could, you know, if you could call up and it would be busy and you just couldn't get on the internet yep. if that was the thing. It's just at, so at work, weird. We're lucky enough at home. I had, I had dial up obviously, and it was probably 56 K which meant it was probably like 32 K because you never really got 56. No. Yeah. Um, but, uh, at work we had two channel, um, ISDN. Which was, was badass back then. That was that serious. was wow. yeah. that was the only thing you could have that was bigger than that was if you had a dedicated T one. So you know, a dedicated oh. T one line. We're using <laughs> man. We're using all these terminologies. People. Some people are just like laughing to themselves and shaking their heads, and the other ones are going, "What the hell are these people talking about?" T one is only one point um, four megabits per second or something. It's not even that fast by today's standards. Yeah, a T. Yeah, but but back then, what was great about a T one was it was it was but it was two-way communication. So it was 1.5 megabit up and 1.5 megabit down, and it was a dedicated connection. Right. So you didn't have to worry about like no with a typical phone line connection where you'd have all this interference and somebody, you know, your, you know, your, your grandma was calling you and it would bump you off the, you know, the, the provider or whatever. If you didn't use the right modem code uh, to, to disable call waiting. Uh, but, but we had a two channel uh, ISDN and it was so it was like 256k. Uh, so we were able to download, ah. yeah. And that was just at work. Bloody uh, luxury. That was serious yeah. back then. You you were a baller no back then. Yeah. Just just a minute. Yeah, you were a baller, yeah, yeah. man. No doubt with that, that kind of download. Yeah. So it still took like forever. Like if you wanted to do- download the large version of the trailer, which still probably took up half your monitor size. Uh, it, it took forever. Yeah. Um, but again, it was just, it was, it was an exciting time, you know, uh, even back then, uh, there weren't as many as there are now, uh, but there were, you know, new sites that, you know, talked about what was, you know, rumors and speculation and, and, you know, things like that. And so, you know, the starwars.com website was, uh, like one of the first, 
you know, branded websites where they actually put a lot of money and effort into, you know, putting up video and audio and, uh, you know, pictures and images and things like that. And they kept you pretty, um, you know, pretty, they did these diaries, these set diaries mm-hmm. where you could, you know, watch little snippets and stuff like that. Um, and it was, it was just a really exciting time. You know, the figures started to pop back up again. And yeah, I was um, just going to say know, that, um, when the, uh, the special editions came out, the uh, camera came back out with the, the power of the force line of the figures. Yeah. They had a lot of the uh, classic figures and the classic, uh, um, characters and stuff. And that really kind of helped snowball the, the, the star Wars uh, fanaticism at that point. You know, and I guess back then we were still, you know, if you weren't lucky enough to have a computer, because, I mean, those were still kind of luxury items. You were uh, you were stuck with with uh, magazines, too, uh, and yeah. and talking to your friends about it and getting getting information, you know, second, third hand. And uh, and, you know, it, it was it was just a, a different time. You, that, that, that's a time where you actually kind of had to go and, and hang out at the comic book store or hang out with your friends and just kind of share the snippets of information you had. Plus, I mean, think about how much we've already seen of The Force Awakens just from trailers TV spots and everything else, and how much we know about it compared to how much we knew about the Phantom Menace going in. Right. I'm, you know I'm remembering I mean? like uh, Entertainment Tonight doing specials like that. That's what I remember back then. They would do like a three minute or four minute behind the scenes special as they're filming. That would whet people's appetites before the movie would come out. Oh you know, my usually gosh. a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. You had to. You had to catch that live too, or oh, you yeah. had to set your VCR because if you missed it, it was gone. Yeah. yeah. It's not like it was on YouTube. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Do you guys remember the uh, when the soundtrack came up? The came out. The soundtrack came out before the movie, of course. And there was. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. There was. It was track spoiler. 15. Yes. That had the major. Bygone's noble end. Yes. I've, I've... I remember me and my me and me and my buddy Glenn. We went. Uh, I can't remember where it, it was. A music store. It was funny because we went there and then hit the comic shop and picked up the soundtrack. And I looked at the back and got down reading the tracks off. And I was like, I started cursing like nobody's business because I was like, you've got to be kidding me with this. And I told I told Glenn, I was like, don't look at the back if you don't want to be spoiled because that was so terrible. Um, so it was so bad that when the episode two and three soundtracks came out, I purposely didn't even look at the track listing. Like I just literally would put the CD in and just listen to it because I was afraid um, of getting spoiled and I ended up getting spoiled anyway. And I'll, I'll share that story, uh, when we talk about episode two, but, um, from, from a totally different method, but, but yeah, the soundtrack, I mean, it had a video, they had a video for a star Wars track. I mean, that was like completely unheard of. Oh my gosh. I remember. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. It was on MTV too. You could have watched it. Yeah. Duel of the face. Yes. Oh, I never remember watching it on MTV. (laughs) That's when MTV actually played music videos back then. Not even they, they pretty much moved on from that. That was like a big deal because, because they, even in 99, they'd moved on from. Yeah. It was more of a cross commercial thing than actually part of their programming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause they'd have like a half hour special or what have you. But I remember probably about a month before the movie came out, they uh, debuted the toys. They had like a midnight release party at the toys R us. Uh, I went to the big toys R us in Cranberry here in Pittsburgh. It's like a big suburban toys R us, really huge. And there were probably about two, 300 people there. And because so little had come out about the movie, nobody knew which character to grab. Uh, Other than, like, I knew, I mean, I got the Darth Maul with the Sith Speeder set because I, you know, I saw Darth Maul in the trailer. I thought he looked cool. 
Um, and I got like one of the, uh, the droid, um, um, the droid speeder, uh, situations there. But yeah, they have like uh, a sneak preview figure of Mace Windu. And then they had like the, the midnight event where they sold all the figures. And it was just like, it was almost like, it was like a Black Friday situation almost. Cause they let in like, I think it was 30 or 40 people at a time. And people were just grabbing whatever Phantom Menace merch they could. And this is a month before the movie came out. So nobody knew who was who or what was what. I mean, people were walking out with like, you know, Chancellor Valorum figures and uh, <laughs> Rick Oley. Yeah, Rick Oley. <laughs> Remember uh, when Captain Rick Oley was like, everybody you know? thought. Everybody thought Rick Oley was going to be like the next Han Solo. We're like, yeah, he's the pilot. Like, <laughs> exactly. he's like, going to be the coolest guy. I was say, like, when we got out to the parking lot, my friends and I were all looking at who we got. We're like, we're reading the backs of the, the, the cards, like comparing notes. And that was, it was like, oh, he must be like the Han Solo character, you know. <laughs> you know Captain Tarples. Oh, he, he must be like, some, you know, all of a sudden, you know, just like crazy, uh, you know, um, exponential uh, fanboy wool gathering off of the, the backs of the, the, the action figures that we bought. Plus, they came with that ComTech. Yeah, that was terrible. Yeah. So, so terrible. I, I was never Looks familiar like, with this. So, so, so how is it supposed to work, or what was it supposed to do? Well, there's, there's a, a there's, First, you have to buy the ComTech thing, which looks like a communicator from the show, from the movie, that right. was only used once in the movie, by the way, by Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. When he's talking about midichlorians, so that's like the right. only time you ever see it in the movie. But those oh, figures, wrist, right? Yeah. No, it was no, a no, lady no. shave yeah, razor. Yeah, it was a lady razor. Like they repurposed. Yeah, like an electric razor. Oh, okay. But uh, it, it's pretty funny. And you, each of these figures would come with a little chip. And you'd put the chip into the contact and you'd hear like a, a, a really, really crappy voice sample. <laughs> I pulled up a like, picture of this thing. It looks hideous. Okay, I'm looking at yeah, it. Yeah, and then you get like, you know... Um, uh, the board, and that's exactly what it would sound like, you know. Like it didn't matter which chip you put in, it'd be like, "It was oh, really look, bad." It's it's it's, it's Qui Gon Jinn. You know, it's like it's like why? You know, it's wow. Value and it made like the price of the action figure like a dollar more. Plus, they expected you to buy this Comtech thing on the side just so you could play these crappy chips. It well, was like a, you said, there was a vacuum for quite a while of legitimate new Star Wars merchandise. Right. It's just so, so they're going to release stuff like this in droves as, as well as the good stuff. I mean, you're going to see it. Now that like, I, I see criticisms of like, uh, Oh, the force Awakens stuff has gone too far. They have cover girl makeup and they have, you know, this, this thing. I'm like, no, don't you remember the Phantom Menace? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like every- Not only that, but Disney paid, paid $5 billion. Uh, so they're, they're going to want every ounce of that oh, money. Of back. Yeah. And they will get it. And they'll, they'll oh, yeah, they absolutely it. will. You know, I'm yeah, looking at a, I'm no, looking at a picture. I'm looking at a picture of the uh, of the battle droids, and I re- I seem to remember that that was an early, uh, that was an early release, wasn't it? The uh, the battle droid. Um... It was a battle droid on the vehicle. It was a green box with like a, a... the stab. Yeah, yeah. Stop. yeah. God, I remember getting so excited about that. And thinking, you know, oh, these things are so cool, and you know, well, they, they move in unison. It's like IG and awesome. man. It's like an assassin droid. It's gonna kill everybody, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. It's so funny because the stories we made up, just from the little blurbs on the backs of the action figures and stuff, in a lot of times were better than what were in the movies. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like I would have rather seen that, you know. So, but anyway, yeah, you're right. There was a lot. Of, it was really a fever pitch. And uh, if you've never seen the movie Fanboys. Oh, it yeah, really yeah. It expresses like that kind of you know that kind of fanboy fever the way it was it at that point very well I thought you know 
Yeah. And it's a funny movie. So, yeah. So that's the kind of the hype. I mean, it was just, I, you know, it's funny because I mean, I remember it vividly, but yet I still think the hype for the fan for the uh, force awakens is way higher than it was even for the Phantom Menace, even though there was a longer period of time between the two. I mean, this hype for the Phantom or for the Force Awakens just seems uh, ten times higher than than it was for. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. I think it's for, not know, just I think for the millennials, it might be you know just as high. But I think oh. for like us who kind of got burned by the Phantom Menace, we might be a little more trepidatious. You know, I, I don't know. That's where I'm coming from. I got to well, say, that they're, they're doing it really well. They are really, they're playing with our emotions, but in a way that I really enjoy. They, they're teasing us just right. And they're doing the, the, the combination of the mini teaser trailer, then the trailer, then they have these different TV commercials that are releasing via the web as well as on TV. And, 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 and then they're really promoting this so well. And like you said, the millennials, it's funny you mentioned that because I know people in, in, in my life that this is the first Star Wars film that are around my age, I should say, that they'll be able to see with their kids. Yeah, yeah. In the theater. Yep. Like that's that's a big deal, too. So it's it, it, yeah, it's I had this will this will be interesting because so kind of kind of a. I have I have older children. I have much older children um, and even grandchildren now. My my wife. uh my wife was married once before, um, and so I've, I've been around them since they're very little. Um, so when the when the movies came out, the, the special editions came out, I got to take them to see all three of them. Okay. And and then when the um, when the prequels came out, I got to take them all to to see them too. So it's been kind of cool that I've been able to take my kids to see all of them so far. Um, and now, you know, leading up to the force awakens, my grandson is who's four is all about star Wars right now. So my son and I are really hyped to be able to, to take him. So it's really kind of cool for like, for me, for my family, this is like a, th- a third generation thing, um, which is, which is really kind of cool. Like I have my, you know, I have my, you know, generation of the, of the original trilogy. My son has the prequel trilogy and my grandson will have, uh, this new trilogy. So it's really kind of cool. Yeah, and I mean that's never. I don't think that's ever really happened. Maybe in sports, you know, there's kind of that dynasty that families kind of, you know, they they love the same team and stuff. But I mean, this is the first time that pop culture wise that it's cross generations. I mean, this is yeah. this is pretty special. And John like Williams Bond ties movies. it all together. I mean, yeah. that's <laughs> yes. the amazing part too. Can you imagine a movie without John Williams, a Star Wars movie, without him oh. scoring it? I, oh man. You know, it's funny you say that because I was actually listening to a New Hope soundtrack today at work just to kind of while I was working for background and I was listening to it. I guess I was listening to it because I'm excited about the movie coming up. But but right when that when that when the main title hits, man, it just does something to you that just get the tingle. Yeah, it's a tingle. It's just so amazing. So did you guys – so this was also the first movie I remember and probably just because it's the only one that anybody would have cared to. But you could actually buy your tickets in advance and it was like – Yes. Oh, wait a minute. I can't remember. Was it a month it, or yes. three weeks? It was a few weeks. It, it was like a Ticketmaster type of thing, wasn't it? No. Well, not not by – I mean all the theaters by us. It was basic. Yeah, you had to go to the, the box, box office. office. They, at the theater. Yeah, they didn't have online ticketing right. back then. So you would have to line up at the box office and they had shows – and I think for Phantom Menace, I don't know that they were starting at midnight on Friday. I think they were like starting early 
but I don't remember them being midnight. Well, no. the, the, and maybe I'm wrong. And, and this I don't was remember the that. Time, this was the time when people were actually standing in line for months before the movie, too, right? That was still a thing, right? Um, What do you mean standing? Like... Like literally camping out, like camping out before the movie came out. I mean, people. Uh, they were a couple days, you know, maybe or a week. Yeah, I don't remember. I, think it I being know what, like what you're extreme, talking about, Frank. But... There were uh, people that did it for charity at Grauman's Theater. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. For like yeah. six months or something, and they camped out. And they got donations every day. They were there, and it was okay. Okay. Can't remember what charity it was for, but yeah, they camped out for for tickets like for like six months over the group of I, them, whatever. I, yeah, I do have a vague memory of that and thinking, and even, you know, I consider myself a big fan, but I just I just thought those people are crazy. Well, it's funny <laughs> because um, we, um, we bought our tickets in advance, much like Russ said. And at that time, I was, I was um, the, the, um, the sous chef, and my, uh, my best friend was kitchen manager at a, uh, a restaurant here in Pittsburgh, which shall remain unnamed, but is well known for steak and uh, those kind of things. Uh, and, and beef and, 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 you know, and full and meats in general or whatever. So, uh, we, so we Burger actually, King. Okay. Yes. Right. Exactly. Burger King. Flame broil, baby. Hey, no, come on. You know, I worked at a Carl's Jr. I have a little bit of class anyway. <laughs> so we actually, uh, we bought our tickets ahead of time, much like Russ said, and we set up a tent. Um, I think we were there like 40 hours before the, the show, the start of the, the midnight showing. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was almost two days. But between the two of us, we covered all of our shifts um, that weekend, or that leading up to that weekend, at the restaurant, and uh, we just basically had a party. Like we had, he had his um, um, we had like a TV set up out there. We had like beer, and we had like food that we brought from the restaurant, which was like four four miles away from where we we're camped out for the movie. The movie, uh, the movie theater was like right across the parking lot from a mall. So like anything we would need, we just walked over and got. It was like a little mini vacation for us because we'd had a really uh, busy season uh, leading up to that. So back then, I mean, you camped out for multiple multiple reasons. You were showing your fandom, obviously, and you were, but really, it was to get a good seat, wasn't it? I mean, that wasn't the yeah, whole. Yeah. Just, exactly. Now, yeah. where we were in line, we ended up. We were like, I think there was one more person ahead of us. Yeah. And we were like the second uh, group in line, and we we got our pick of seats. Yeah. Because nowadays, I don't know about you guys, but around here in the New York, New Jersey area, the IMAX theaters especially have reserved seating. Yeah, most of them. I, okay. I, I do have to say that, my gosh, I'm so glad movie theaters have done that. That is such – that's just the old man in me. I'm like, I'm glad I don't <laughs> yes. have to stand yes. in line to go see my movie. I have my seat reserved. Seat number. Oh, yeah. Just you picked it on the screen. You know exactly where you're going to sit. It's printed on your ticket. Yep. Just easy. Yes. But, yeah, we – we actually, so me and Glenn, like I said, we were working, to, my buddy Glenn, we were working together. And so we left work to go wait in line for tickets. So it was like waiting in line twice. So the first time was to wait in line for tickets. Yes. Um, yeah. And we, we we both got tickets to see it twice on opening day. So I didn't go midnight because um, I was afraid that I'd probably be arrested for, you know, child abuse or something like that, <laughs> taking my kids out at midnight um, and keeping them out till three in the morning. So we went like with the earliest show of like, you know, what would be the next day. So I think it was like an eight o'clock or a seven thirty or something like that. And then we went to like a one, one, one thirty or something like that. So we actually saw it twice and had like lunch in between and stuff. Um, and so we, yeah, we, we camped out and got tickets ahead of time and, and had them and then went back to work. And I remember my, uh, there was a bunch of us, like I, we put me and my buddy put our time off in, and we worked for a small software company at the time. There's probably only like 20 people. 
Um, but we put our time off request way ahead of time. So nobody else would. And I remember my boss, the, the CEO of the company who was like, like dumbstruck at the fact that these people were taking off, uh, as he put it to go see an effing movie. Um, <laughs> and he was half joking, half serious. Um, but yeah, we definitely had the day, had the day off and, uh, we took the, took the day off. I took the kids out of school. Uh, my wife thought we were crazy. And, uh, and we, you know, waited in line and then same thing. We got there like three, you know, two, three hours before the movie started because we didn't want to be sitting last seat, you know, at the way back, um, or way front. I mean, or way front. Yeah. 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 Um, so we, yeah, we did that. And so we saw it twice that day. Uh, and, uh, well, I didn't have any camp out experiences. I, I do distinctly remember that we got tickets a few weeks in advance or at least a week or two in advance. I don't remember exactly when. And it's at a theater that doesn't exist anymore. It was a one-screen theater. They called it a 150. It was kind of like a 70-millimeter screen back then. It was a really luxurious theater, and um, that was the best one you could see a movie at, I guess, in in, in the day. Um, we waited in line. It was not midnight. It, it had to be a, I want to say an 8 o'clock showing or 7 o'clock, something like that, because it was light outside. Then it kind of got dark as we were waiting outside to get in. So it was early evening sometime. And I do remember that experience. I remember guys showing up in costumes, Darth Vader costumes, the, yeah. the red lightsabers, you know, Jedi showing up. That was really, really cool to be there. I know it was opening night though. I do remember that. Uh, do you guys, do you guys remember how you felt walking out of the theater the first time you saw it? Quiet. Um. Very, very quiet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was remember, an air of concern. We have this. We just have this. Uh, Dave America, which is the guy I ended up going to see him with, and we we camped all that time. We had a great time, great party. We had a bunch of our friends come by. It was just a really cool, fun time. Finally, midnight, movie starts. Bye, guys. Enjoy your movie. Blah blah blah. We go. We watch the movie, and we all got back in the car and packed our stuff up, and drove home silently. And never spoke of it until this moment right now. <laughs> it was just very yeah. quiet in that car. I didn't, I, I, you know, it was it was cool. I, I enjoyed the spectacle. Can I say it that way? I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. I didn't think it was a disgustingly bad movie where I was like, oh, my God, it was a waste of money, a waste of my time staying in line. I enjoyed it on a spectacle level. It put a smile on my face during parts of it. I didn't leave 100% disappointed. Now, Going in, like I said, I was about 17, 18 years old. I wasn't super Star Wars nerded out at that point. I'm probably at that point in my life now more than I was back then. So it's like I didn't have the expectations that you guys probably had going in. I saw it. um, I do remember kind of walking out and just trying to justify of why I liked it. I was trying to find reasons why this movie was great. I I was trying to find those reasons. And, and um, you know, it's one thing to walk out of a movie and you're just kind of pumped up and excited goes, man, that was fantastic. But this one, I was like struggling to kind of like come up with things that were cool. And there were cool things. I mean, the pod race, the, uh, uh, um, the Sith Lord, I mean, all that stuff was kind of cool, but it was just sandwiched between the stuff that wasn't. And there was too much of that, you know, there was, there was bacon, but 
there was more lettuce than bacon in that sandwich. And a lot of and, bread, too. That's a, and a lot that's of bread. on your territory there, Frank. <laughs> And, and you know how I love my bread. I do. I'm not I'm yes. not just on yes. bread. I'm just saying there was a lot of bread in that sandwich. There was yeah, a lot of bread exactly and lettuce what, in that Exactly beef. what you're saying. You know, for every every cool thing that might have panned out and been awesome in that movie, there were ten things that just kind of brought it down. And we were talking about it a little bit earlier. You know, we watched like the the making of uh featurette on the DVD. And if you, you watch that, it was like George Lucas and then, like, a group of about a dozen people around him just nodding. You know, it just seems like George Lucas just didn't have any kind of editing at all because he's he George had, Lucas. He, yeah, he had, he's the boss. Exactly. He had no one to challenge him. I mean, he had a great track record. This was his baby. He knows what he's doing. Why would you right. question the, him? Yeah, Rick yeah, McCallum I mean, that, was his chief lackey, I think. That was the guy that yeah. was really in charge of the, these prequels, especially The Phantom Menace. That was his, his executive Yeah, but producer. McCallum... McCallum was more like a like a traffic cop than anything. I mean, McCallum didn't really have much to do with the specific story or the the direction or the yes no decisions like that. I mean, McCallum was more just like, hey, let me get all these pieces in order and make sure like you know we've got permits and that you know people are on location and you know the casting is good and stuff like mm. that. So I don't I don't really put too much of that on him. I, I think. I, I think he, where the I, I think Lucas hired him specifically to produce this movie and not to uh, you know there, there are several type of producers you can have on there. Sometimes you just want people to do what you need to get done. That's what Rick did in this movie. He did everything yeah, I mean, that that Lucas needed done. And and McCallum had been with him for quite some time at that point. I mean, he was you know he was producer on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, mm-hmm. and you know he'd been he'd been with the organization for quite some time. Yeah. You know at that point, but. I think I think the problem, you know, as we as we get into the movie proper, the the problem I had with it was when you had the original trilogy, Lucas, it it was his idea. It was his concept. And despite, you know, what his legacy ends up being, you know, 10, 20, 50 years from now, uh, there's no dispute that his his vision and his. Concept. I mean, he's a great concept guy. He's a great visionary, and and you can't take that away from him. Even even uh, you know, with the prequels in the mix, but what what he didn't have with the prequels that he did have with the original trilogy was, um, he had great screenwriters to help him. You know, with it, he had Larry Kasdan, he had right. Leigh Brackett, um, he had you know great directors for two out of the three movies i mean he had kirshner and and marquand did a pretty good job i mean you know he, he did he did uh i i always call it like a pedestrian job he he got sure. the story told but there wasn't a lot of style to it the the problem you know and part of that was the problem lucas had and this gets a little away from the phantom menace but kind of sort of the problem lucas had was because of the way he did things he couldn't shoot a union movie like he couldn't he couldn't get a union director to shoot those movies, um, which I think is why Kirshner didn't come back because he didn't want to kind of buck the union. By the time Jedi came out, it was like the 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 director's guild had kind of blackballed him because he didn't do the traditional thing where it was putting the credits in the front of the movie and giving proper credit to, you know, to people and things like that. He opened that movie and he did it the way he wanted to do it. With the and, crawl. And, I mean, that, that's like one yeah. of the signatures of the series is that opening crawl, you know? Yeah. Right. And, I mean, he proved out to be right. But again, you know, like you said, got him in Dutch with the director's guild or whatever. But um, I think when you, when you see George Lucas directing his, I mean, something that they, they, they got colossal, 
Colossally wrong in the, the 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 prequels, you know, not to be the dead horse or whatever. Uh, over the what seems to be, uh, you know, what J.J. Abrams is doing in, in the Force Awakens, is is the you know that feeling of a lived-in universe, like everything yeah. because by dint of it being digital, looks too clean and too too created. You know what I mean, and, and not real enough. Whereas with the pra- more practical effects of the original trilogy. It looked lived in. It looked real. It looked like things in a in a real world. And when you see Lucas directing, because like you said, you make a really good point, Russ. He, he's a good idea guy. He has great concepts of story, but when it comes to dialogue or whatever, you know, you're better off leaving it in the hands of someone like Lawrence Kasdan or Leigh Brackett, as you said. And I mean, something that really gave me hope about the J.J. Abrams movie is that he went, he wrote it with Kasdan. Yeah, I mean, and that really yeah. like was the first flag to me. It's like, wow, okay, he's taking this seriously because that's awesome. They brought him back. Whereas Lucas did not. I mean, Lucas does not have a good ear for dialogue. Does not have a good you know sense of story structure. Again, he has he's... these great ideas, great concepts, and again, you know, he's a great visionary. He came up with this entire whole universe and the conflict within it. It's just the way that because he didn't have anyone to keep him in check or to edit him or to to like you know improve upon what he what he was doing. You got what you got with the fundamentals. Yeah, and, I mean he's not a he's not an actor's director. No, I mean that and that's and that's the problem. It's you know that's the big joke with Lucas, right? It's always faster, more intense. Right, like, like, that's, that's this, all he's right, that's, a, that's all he knows how to say. There? This part and, of the green screen is a monster that is threatening you. All <laughs> yeah. right, where where he's holding the boom right now, where he's holding the boom with the mic at the end of it, that's the head of the monster. Okay, now more intense, faster. Go. You know, and, yeah, and he's, it's he's funny you, you say it that way, Russ, because watching that doc, I rewatched rewatching that documentary. Um, George is talking to his assistant director in there, and he tells them, basically, all I'm going to be saying is faster, more intense. Like, yeah, like yeah. so he knows how he's he in on the joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you look at the movies that he. That he directed well, in my opinion. I mean, you look at THX 1138, you look at American Graffiti, you look at even the first Star Wars, and I think part of it with those was you had something that was very unique. Um, You know, uh, THX 1138 was very experimental. Um, There wasn't a whole lot of dialogue in it to begin with. With American Graffiti, you had fantastic actors. I mean, you had seasoned actors that that knew how to that knew what they needed to do and it was more about atmosphere and and look and feel which i think he gets right same thing with star wars nothing when a new hope came out nothing had ever been put to film like that and to some degree when you're watching it it's just so awe-inspiring that all of that other stuff just kind of floats to the background you fast forward to 1999 and it's like that stuff doesn't fly anymore. We've seen that for the past 20 years. What made a new hope, uh, this first movie with Star Wars movie, uh, really, uh, I guess it kept him in check, was the studio to a certain extent, too. I mean, he had to conform to certain things back then, and, and the other two he didn't have to, right? I think Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, he had his own company at that point. But he still had to sell this movie to the studio. He had people keeping him in check. Now we fast forward to 1999. And he is – he sees that digital world in front of him. He creates characters just to satisfy this this experimentation of digital characters, and that gets him off check. And you said weak dialogue as well. It really comes into effect with the lovey-dovey stuff of episode two and episode three. Oh, I mean the, the real clunky it. stuff. 
Oh yeah, with Anakin Sunflower and... Field. Ugh. Oh man, <laughs> I'm scarred I mean, for you, life. You... I was yeah. sitting, I was sitting well, there you... like like uh, um, Alex in a Clockwork Orange watching that. <laughs> the, with your eyes um, open, pinned yes, open. my eyes clamped open. Like, no, don't make me look at it. And and yeah. you know, going back to that to that documentary, Lucas that throughout the whole production side of it, he he at the very beginning he talks about having a story that he needs to tell that he wants to tell, and and I think that's true. But as as the documentary goes on, you can see he is becoming obsessed and amazed with what he can do digitally. And there, yeah. then there's even a part where uh, Lucas is working with his editor and Lucas leaves the room and they start to interview the editor and the editor starts to kind of, you can see this concerned look on his face. Cause he's like, yeah, George is, you know, we're not just cutting here. We're moving characters around. You know, we're, <laughs> we are digitally changing we're making a huge leap in editing that, that we weren't, that's new to me. And, and you could see his concern and, but Lucas, he's like loving it because he's, he's, he's creating a movie just out of thin air with actors. He's digitally creating these things. And back in 1999, that was new. He was 10 years ahead of his time. James Cameron did Avatar. That was the way to do it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. He's a little ahead of his time. (laughs) Yeah. He he was ahead of his time. I mean, he had more computing power by, I think, the time Revenge of the Sith than the entire Department of Defense. I mean, in the Skywalker sound, and it was the ranch, the uh, Lucasfilm ranch up there. Yeah. 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 I mean, the render farm and everything else, you know, and then he, you know, bought that space at the Presidio and everything else to to house ILM. But, you know, it just, it, 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 I think he just was so fascinated with that technology. It just kind of, it, it consumed everything. You know, it just, and, and it just overtook everything. And and he's consumed with Jar Jar too. He's just like he is so amazed at what he he can do with Jar Jar. And Jar Jar, in a sense, he becomes Jar Jar is like a spectacle. There, there's no substance to him. He's just like he's he's that look what I can do. That George Lucas is like look what I just did. Nothing yeah. like this has ever been done. And and the last time I saw Phantom Menace. Jar Jar looks real. I mean, that's it's still an amazing piece of of digital work. Yeah, I mean, and that that's the one thing that you know. I mean, that's obviously the most derided piece from from all of the prequels. But you know, too, we saw it as adults, not children, yes. and children loved that character and they thought he was fantastic. For me, I think I was caught up in the technical a lot with that movie, and I think I justified a lot of why I thought it was good with just looking at as a technical marvel like we saw a cg character on screen as a main character in a movie and it worked you know yeah you know what got me more though as a teenage you know the age i was when i saw this movie was not so much the jar jar although it it, it, enough has been said about jar jar i think it was more of the voice that threw people off but the character itself was cool i didn't have a problem with that it was the child aspect of it the anakin that seemed more clunky to me than anything. The, it made me cringe. Some of the lines he said, the way he was acting, the, the, the whole pod race thing seemed way too long. It just it, that part of it got me a little bit more than it seemed like a kiddie movie because of the kid, not because of Jar Jar so much. 
You know, uh, Lucas, at one point, when, when they're trying to, there's a part in the documentary where, where they bring out the, these three kid actors, and he's trying to pick which one he he wants. There's one kid in there that is actually really good, but Lucas ends up going with um, Jake Lloyd because he gives, because he gave a more consistent performance. That's the only reason he picks Jake Lloyd is that he kind of does it the same way during each reading. And for him, that was more important than having a good actor. on. Sure. There. Because it was less, again, he's not an actor's director. Yeah, so let's work for him you know, to not have to coach somebody, right. you know, that, that was the thing, but yeah, I don't, I, and it's funny cause I don't put that on Jake Lloyd. I put that on, no. on Lucas. I mean, the dialogue and the direction are what was wrong with that stuff. Not, not the actor. Yeah. Um, He's just a kid. Maybe too. less so with Hayden Christensen in two and three, mm-hmm. but um but even still to some degree. I mean, I've seen some good actors be in movies where the director is terrible, and it's almost like you're looking it's it's like how could this be the same actor in both of these things? Because, you know, it's it's amazing how how a good actor or, or a good director or a bad director can really bring out the worst or the best in in a performance yeah getting to the story for a second too i mean there could have been more foreshadowing i didn't see any hint that this kid was going to become darth vader except by watching you know the previous episodes but if i didn't see them let's say there was no evil at all in this kid there was nothing and even a flashback would have been fine so show me uh since he, he had such command of the force show me him looking into the future and seeing the suit or even hearing the breath or something you didn't you didn't get any of that it was just him being a kid and i, I, didn't, started, I didn't feel a threat and that's and that's the problem for me they started too young i mean they should have it he should have been in a late teen they should have been, had consistency where you know there's one actor that played them all three cuz that, that's one thing that's different with the 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 prequel trilogy i mean you could argue that between like New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, maybe three years, you know, in real time it took place. That would be plausible. Right. Between, you know, Empire and Jedi, not so much, you know, maybe a year because, you know, because of how, you know, the Han Solo situation, whatever. But to go 10 years between episode one and two, it just seems so disjointed that you have, you know, one trilogy that's fairly tight continuity wise and this other trilogy that's just so you know, far apart, you know, from start to finish, we're talking probably for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just seemed like a, like a bizarre choice that it, it, it they, they could have, I think, gained a little more um, by not starting out with such a, such a kid. And I get, you know, again, it gets back to Lucas, you know, this is the story he wanted to tell. He wanted to tell how this innocent boy becomes this evil monster. And, you know, we can, we can argue whether that was effective or not, but, you know, in the, in the end, that's the story he wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. But there are, I mean, it's funny as much as, is, I mean, there's plenty to, to bag on and most of it's legitimate, but there is some really good stuff in that movie. I mean, if you oh, look yeah. at, you know, like I said, the Padre stuff was phenomenal in my opinion. I agree a little too long. I think they could have chopped, chopped that down quite a bit. Um, but, you know, just visually it was incredible and it kind of took you back to scenes like, you know, uh, like the trench run or the, the, the speeder bike on Endor stuff, you know, which was, it kind of ramped that up to, to a higher degree, which I thought was cool. Um, you know, Darth Maul as a, as a concept was, was pretty phenomenal. And that, that lightsaber battle at the end and just the way it intercut with everything else going on. I, I think again, that's where we see Lucas, the editor as a better job than Lucas, the director. Um, you know, he has a really good sense of, of cuts 
and uh, and you know just the way that third act was cut together, I thought was was really 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 well done. Um, you know whether whether the content of of said cuts is your thing, that's a different story. But I think from a pacing perspective, it kind of kept you on the edge of you know waiting for what was coming next. So even the um you know you got me thinking about the the silliness of some of the you know the characters and and um, Jar Jar again at the time didn't bother me so much, although he. To this point, it does a little bit more, but like the king of the of the Gungans, I forget what his name was, with the blowing of the spit awesome. everywhere. Tarples. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Tarples. come on, that was just that. Then it, the, the, the it got too too silly at that point. Oh, Boss Nass, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, right. The, the yeah, the Gungan leader. Yeah, under, uh, underwater. There were, lot, there were a lot of people who had made the statement that there were um, like racist things going on there with the Gungans. Oh really? Um, what, like like a Jamaican like a thing? What was that like? A... Well, it was like a, it was almost like a yeah. step and fetch a situation with Jar Jar, and then the uh, mm. like the almost like a, a parody of Kingfisher with the Boss Nass character. Okay. And like the uh, the very Asian uh, sounding trade. Oh, the, the Federation. Trade Federation. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then of course the um, the uh, um, the Semitic uh, um, stereotype of uh, of the trader. Um, yes, with the big face features, Watto. facial features. Yeah. Yes. I mean, so there were a yes. lot of like, uh, like racist undertones. I wonder if this is a movie that in a hundred years from now people are going to go like, man. Wow. We're doing Jeez. it now. Dude. The Warner Brothers cartoons I don't know. anymore I mean, on Saturday morning. I, Those are two. Yeah, really, I, so I never I bought it. I recommend in. the Rift Tracks of uh, the, the Phantom Menace if if you're so inclined. Uh, Rift Tracks are the guys that used to do Mystery Science Theater 3000, and they do MP3s that you can time up to your DVDs and like have them pretty much do that too. Oh, that's pretty cool. Any other movie? So they did a they did a Rift Tracks MP3 for um, the Phantom Menace, and it is hilarious. It's I've those. seen some re-edits too on the web, like on YouTube, where people have re-edited sure. the movie, and that that looked better Phantom to me in a lot of ways. The Phantom Edit, yeah, yes, it takes yes. out all the Jar Jar stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There are just so many yeah, I mean, things I did not like about that movie. I mean, I will, I will agree. The Padre sequence was was fun, and the, the lightsaber sequence at the end was cool. And you know what really struck me the most, and when I watched it, was seeing more than one Jedi. Yeah. At a time. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. that really was like, wow. Cool. There's like actually lots of Jedi around. Um, that really like struck me when I was watching that. But I just, there are just so many things that disappointed me, and so many things that just kind of made me. Like I said, it was a very yeah. quiet ride home. I mean, I know, I know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to turn this into a you know bag on the movie fest, but I mean, there were there were a lot. I had a lot of issues with it. A lot. Yeah. A lot yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Back to I, the Yoda think... character also was <sighs> the puppet work seemed. Uh, less uh, real than Return of the Jedi and, and Empire Strikes Back, which oh, doesn't make sense. Yeah, they they took a thou- a thousand year old being, and he was twenty years younger than when we last saw him, and <laughs> suddenly he looks like. I mean, it should have been the same model. I mean, I yeah, get yeah, why they. Right. I get why they CG'd him for episodes two and three, and that was better. What, well, it was better, but because of what they had to do with the character. But I still think that they should have used the the old practical uh, for all of it, and then just CG'd when they had to. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that that was really poor. Because they went back um, and CG'd him in the Phantom Menace as well. Now, right? If you go watch that movie, he yeah, I think CG'd you're right. It. I think they did. Yeah, just yeah, they they did for yep. a consistent look. 
Yeah, yeah, because it was so different from even episodes one and two. It was it was so different that they they went back and and did that. Yeah, but, and Frank Oz was work, was working the puppet. Uh, in yeah, the Phantom Menace, he was. wasn't he? I mean, he yeah. was doing. It. No, he just did the voice. Oh, he did was, he? Okay. He he couldn't. Yeah, he couldn't do the physical. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, well, but I'm pretty in, sure. In the, doc- sure. in the documentary, they show him actually operating the puppet. Exactly. In oh, one did he? scene. Okay. Oh, okay. Because I know he was like age was kind of getting. Mm. You know, he just couldn't do like what he did with with Empire. Um, just because it, you know, he's getting so much older, but. But yeah, I mean, you know, over, I mean, I, yeah, I think the plot was just, you know, they tried to, they tried to explain too many things. They tried to make it the plot way too, more, way more complicated than it needed to be. I mean, I think you made you a know, good point earlier, Russ, about like how the, there's a 10 year break in between the, the, first, the episode one and episode two. And that kind of almost makes the stuff between uh, Anakin and Padme kind of creepy. Yeah. Like yeah. Padme knew him when he was a little kid. And now he's back yeah. and like, I don't know, yeah. it just makes it kind of weird. Like another layer of weirdness on top of everything else. So what is she, seven to ten years older than him then? Is that what we're talking about? I mean, because she was a young yeah. teenager as a queen. Yeah, right. 12. You know, he was probably... Eight? Eight and 12? Eight. All right, so yeah. five so to seven, years, five know. to eight. It just seems, I don't know. It seems like... Well, she, well, she probably had to be more older than that, uh, probably 14, I would say. So, yeah, for six years. I mean, it's not, it's not that... I know, it just seemed... Off, like you said, it was just weird. weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, just, it was weird. And I think it's just because of the, the difference. In, again, I think I think it was a poor choice to start him so young. I yeah, think, I, I, agree. I, I I think that's that's you know one one flaw because he was almost thing. attracted to her and he was saying things. You're so pretty, you know. He was. Are you an yeah. angel? Are you an angel? Yeah, yeah that's what it was. Are you right. An angel? Yeah. No, are you enjoying it? Is that bash your teeth in? Oh, <laughs> yeah, now, it could have now, been more who, continuity. Like I don't know when in, in New Hope when Obi Wan is describing Anakin, you know that they were the star pilot and all those other things. They could have I don't know they could have done a little bit more with just his story, Anakin's story overall. I guess I'm talking about more than just the Phantom Menace here. I'm talking about the three movies, but I, I don't know. It just I did. Yeah. I will say, I did. I I did get goosebumps when when Qui Gon says uh, Obi Wan Kenobi meet Anakin Skywalker, and I was just like, <laughs> that's yeah. a pretty cool moment right there. <laughs> you know, regardless if it's an eight year old kid, <laughs> that was that was a pretty cool thing. Now, uh, who just mentioned about uh, about them over explaining uh, too much in the movie? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. yeah, that I and, and that, that when you said that that. When you said that, that reminded me of the whole midi chlorine thing and just how disappointing yeah. it was to learn about that, that that had to exist. <laughs> so yeah. you nobody, guys bring up nobody was that in that. the EU? Was that in no. the books? No, 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 no. That was no. not. That was never a thing. Until this, until A Phantom Menace. Yep. yep. So when you heard that, you're like, what? Midi what? You probably didn't know what the heck that was. I thought it was in the well, book. Well, it was just like you're explaining something that doesn't need to be explained. I mean, that was okay. the, that, that's the biggest criticism of it is, you know, it was just kind of understood that it was just like, you know, whatever. I mean, you could call it whatever you want. It, it, it wasn't important. Yoda explained it. Stick with that explanation, right? There's, yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's not – it's it doesn't have to be explained away as like a physical condition. Like it, it – 
you know, it, it's fine to exist as it is. It's, it's something that, you know, people have a sensitivity to and can tap into and can use it. And he made it just seem like it's like a virus. So Darth Vader in, in A New Hope says the Force is strong with this one. So why couldn't Qui-Gon say a Force is strong? The Force is strong with this one, meaning Anakin, young Anakin. Could have just sensed it. He could have just said, I feel that, that this kid can. Well, he kind of did. I mean, you know, he kind of you could tell by the way he, moved, you know, he acted and he kind of he could he could sense something. But, mm. you know, again, then they you know, kind of added that in that. Yeah. Again, I think it was just like, let's explain this thing that, you know, we've, we've known about for, you know, at that point, 12 years and, and explain it. And it's like, well, why you don't need to explain it. Yeah. Like, and then you know, and just, that, and just the whole, and that leads you the down, whole, a, down a road where it's just like, okay, so if it's a virus, then can there be uh, an antivirus for it? I mean, is it a disease? You know, it takes you down this weird road that, you start to overthink it. And, but they and, did it, I think, also because there was no father, right? So he was just spawned from the force. Well, that was the – yeah, that was the whole – you know, he took the, the whole Jesus metaphor to like – it was like, okay, let's let's be super obvious about this. Yeah, no, there was no father. I mean, the you whole know, Messiah I mean, thing. It was just know, it, 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 it was like know, way too far. Not even going into details. It just didn't need to be explained. It was one of those exactly. things that didn't exactly. need to be touched. You could have just left it the way it was. Didn't need to, uh, you know, to even go near explaining that, but felt the need to for some reason. And again, they could have, when when he's being examined by the Jedi Council, Anakin, that is, maybe then Yoda could have seen into the future a little bit, seen the the costume of Darth Vader, seen or heard the breathing, or saw the Emperor Palpatine. You know, nothing. They just they just gave him that 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 BS quiz where he's looking at pictures on a on a screen. And he's supposed to name the pictures. I mean, it just. They could have done a little bit of a better job foreshadowing what we've watched for 30 years before that movie came out, yeah, 25 I mean, years, whatever it, it was, before that movie came out. And I was fine. I mean, I didn't think we were going to get that resolution in that movie, and I was fine with that. I mean, I I, I always assumed that it was, you know, the third episode was going to end with his turn. So I, that didn't really bother me. I just, mm. you know, because he was so, again, so young. You know, you, you, you know it's it's... You know, I think he was hoping for the fact that it would be way more heartbreaking to see this kid that, you know, we've come to love over three movies make this turn. But it ended up being two and a half movies of, you know, not really any indication. And like the third act, it just kind of all fell. I mean, granted, obviously, in in Attack of the Clones, we got, you know, some motivation and some foreshadowing. But yeah. it, it just seemed like it just... Uh, it, it, it just developed way too quick. I think if they would have started him younger, they could have started... Or start if if they would have started him older, they could have started that turn sooner. But that's not the way it was. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's funny as we get into Attack of the Clones. I think the more that I think about it, I'm like, you know, I may like that movie less than this one. To be honest. <laughs> like, like as 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 time goes by and I start to think more about it, I was like, man, there's so much in that second movie that is really bad, a, like, um, you, like, like worse than this right, one. Yeah, yeah well, Craig was Craig was mentioning before about fan edits. There's a really good fan edit of of episode two that takes out all that uh, stuff on Naboo that made oh, me man. want to like tear my hair out when I watched that in the yeah. theater. But, you know, uh, for me, I know we're getting ahead, but uh, that whole last reel of attack of, of the clones just makes up for everything else. I mean, True. just that last part of the movie is just, to me, just so good. On Geonosis but, yeah. and the fight with Count Dooku and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, all yeah. that. 
But again, you know, part of this was to rope in the next generation. And part of this wasn't him making a movie for us. It was making a movie for kids. You know, I mean, so, you know, part of it is you have to take that with a part that has to come into the discussion, too, because, I mean, you know, yeah, we talk about the silliness and that's what drives us crazy, you know, that grew up on this. But, um, you know, that, you know, that's you know, that's what's going to rope them in and sell toys and all that kind of stuff. But see, that was then very deliberate then. Then George Lucas said, you know what? I want to make a movie for kids yeah. that I could sell a lot of toys with because I own all the rights to Star Wars. And I want to use all this digital stuff to do it. So let's just cram all this in the one movie and, and let it go. Because the first three really were – I mean, I'm not saying they're adult-themed, but what kid silliness was in that? Very little. I mean, Jabba the Hutt I mean, stuff very, maybe a little bit, but not yeah, really. Very little, but, but then – way more simplistic plot wise. You know, it's kind of funny. It's like you had both. It's like here in episode one, you have this movie with, with too much silliness. And at the same time, you have this plot that's way too complicated mm-hmm. for, yeah, you know, right. if you're a six year old or seven year old watching this movie, you're like, I have no idea what the hell is going trade on. Embargo, mommy. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no idea what any of that means. That All I know that was one of my favorite is, uh, uh, jokes in the riff tracks version. It's like more parliamentary procedure. <laughs> <laughs> Please, somebody introduce a motion, please. <laughs> yeah, and I think maybe I I don't know if maybe because some of it was maybe the criticism was with the with four, five, and six was we didn't get enough of that. Like we didn't get like how is this affecting the galaxy as a whole? Like you never really kind of got the the impression that you like you knew what the bigger picture was. I mean, we got little bits and pieces of that at the beginning of A New Hope, you know, with the you know with the big round table on the Death Star, but. You never really got more than that. And then the EU, the books expanded on a lot of that stuff. So I don't know if that was his way of saying, okay, fine, I'll, I'll bring more of that in to, to kind of show you like what all's going on. But I, I think that kind of backfired. I think basically uh, he, was looking at the, he was looking at the story as more of a macro rather than yeah. building from the macro in with his characters yeah. rather than building from the characters out. Which is where the, yeah. others, you know, the more successful yeah. story it, is is built. You know, he had the big ideas of the big conflicts. Sorry, the Trade Federation causing this. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole the, that the way the dominoes fall in that big scheme or whatever. But having to bring it down to the minutiae of just a few relatable characters, I think, was a, a hurdle he couldn't you know get over. Yeah, it, it's funny when when my dad took my brother and I to see the original back in seventy seven. Um, I remember we went to my grandfather's house afterwards and I guess my uncles were there or something like that. And they were asking him about it or whatever. And he's, my dad was like, it was great. He's like, it's a Western in space. That's, (laughs) that's what it is. It's a Western in space. And he did that to sell it to the studios. He had to ground it more in a normal movie type of format because he couldn't sell it otherwise. It had, it had to have some of the relatable characters, relatable plot thing. I mean, some of it, I know it was his fantasy in space, space opera and all that, but it had to be somewhat more grounded because the studio was on his back. Well, and you know who the bad guys are. You know who the good guys are. And right. Well, I mean, it's yep. simple. Yep. Having the characters you care about is the way into that universe. I mean, look at Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, that took the same formula. It had relatable, fun characters and then built its universe out around those. You know what I mean? For once you got a hold of those characters and those were your way into the story, you know, that's what mattered. And the rest of the universe just kind of fell into place as it went on. You know, it was the same way with Star Wars. You know, you're following these characters. At first, you're following, you know, you three know, PO and R two on the planet. I mean, it, it, it's from the characters out rather than the universe in. 
I think Lucas has the big ideas of what, you know, like his in the historic, you know, the history of what happened. Here's what happened. But as far as like breaking it down to, you know, uh, how that really, you know, how those big events, you know, affected the lives of individuals and thus making us care about them. That was a big, big problem with the prequels. You know? Plus, yeah. I plus I think age has a lot to do with it. I mean, if you think about, you know, your favorite rock stars and stuff, as they age, they kind of lose that edge or they, you know, their music just doesn't have the magic it did of their youth. I think there's something to be said about that, too. I think Lucas just, he just, he just kind of lost it. Uh, I, I mean, lost his edge. Storytelling wise, if someone had come in early in the process and seen George's outlines of what the story he wanted to tell, and said, "Look, you know these are these are great concepts and everything, but let's you know, refine need, it." But yeah. let, exactly, <laughs> let's break it down to a character level. Let's break it down to a movie level, you know, a narrative level, rather than yeah, a but, conceptual, yeah, rather than a conceptual we, or historical level, you know. But but when you're footing the bill and it's your movie and it's your money, right? Exactly. And, no one's and, gonna and, tell you no. You well, surround I mean, they, yourself with yes men. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to stop you. I mean, uh, someone, so he may have had several people come up and say, you know, this is terrible. And he goes like, dude, I made Star Wars. Uh, I don't need to listen to you. I know what I'm doing. I'm George Lucas. I think anybody, uh, I think any artist uh, really benefits from having someone, not maybe not critique, but maybe or edit, but like go over their work. You know what I mean? Just to get offer a fresh perspective. Yeah. And I think a lot of times with these hyper successful artists, you know, like George Lucas or whatever, they don't allow for that, you know, those fresh perspectives. They just, you know, like like Craig said, just surrounded by yes men, yes or yes people, I guess. So be women too. But well, you know, I, and, and again, that that documentary that you're talking about, I remember it distinctly. You know, George Lucas is like, and this is what's going to happen here, and everyone's just nodding and taking notes and just standing around agreeing with everything he said. Yeah. He'd walk into the room. Like he, I remember that doc was it Empire of Dreams. Is that what it, the documentary was? I don't know what it's called, but it's, but it's on the first fan of yeah, Menace. It's on the DVD. It's on the DVD. I think it's Empire of Dreams. Actually. I think that's what it was called. Mm -hmm. And it was also aired on TV, but uh, it was funny. He'd walk into the room with his plaid shirt on. He'd walk in and they'd all be working these, these younger people and doing sketches and, He'd have a whole wall of sketches. Yeah, okay, this one's good. This one's not so good. And then he'd just walk out, and they'd be left to fend for themselves again until he walked in again. Like it was just—it's very odd. Yeah, but he, yeah, it was very. But peculiar. he did that on the original trilogy too. I mean, that's you know when it came to creature design and everything else, he did the same thing. I mean, those right. you know I, I remember seeing stuff when you know the Jabba the Hutt sketches and you know just some of the creatures and things like that. And he would do the same thing. He'd look at a wall of of sketches and just be like. You know, I like this one. I don't like this one or I like this one, but maybe we can do that. I mean, so that part of it, he's always been that way from a design right. perspective. Conceptually, it's, that's not the problem. Yeah, it's it's just it's just the whole, you know, script writing. Mm -hmm. I mean, and he's he's come out and said he flat out hates script writing. Like that's his least favorite aspect of the whole process. And, you know, again, that's what baffles me sometimes as to why he didn't send that script to somebody and have somebody just like workshop the, you know, just, just yeah. like, Hey, can you take this and just clean this up and just tighten it a little bit? And I think if he would have done that with the prequels, even if he directed them, which I think he, sh I, I honestly think he should add somebody else direct them. But if he would have had somebody tighten, you know, script doctor, those things and have another director come in, I mean, we, we'd be in a whole 
different conversation yeah, right now. I'm convinced absolutely. of it. Because right, what's the harm? I mean, he still ha- he can still have his spectacle. He can just have the the script, the dialogue around that tightened up a lot. If it was just gone over by somebody, that's a good point. Did now was Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi were those co-written by other people? I don't remember. I know they're directed. Yeah, they were yeah, totally yeah. written by uh, Kasdan, right? And, and Lay Brackett. And Lay Brackett. So at least Empire was Lay Brackett. So why didn't he? Uh, I mean, he had such success with those two movies. Why didn't he use that same formula I, on the Phantom Menace and say, Kasdan, "Okay, let me get a." Kasdan also like uh, uh, worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, right. and well, and Kasdan did his own. Part of it with George was at that time. He was, I think, by the time Return of the Jedi hit, I think, was he getting divorced at that time he, to Marsha? He Marcia? was getting divorced through the whole period that movie was being made. And and not only that, but he, he was building a company. So he had enough to pull his focus away that it was easier to give up things because – he was trying to make sure that he was, you know, his company. Because the one thing that Lucas did, and this was smart or stupid, depending on, you know, how you view financial things, is he pretty much reinvested all of his money back into his company. You know, ILM never really, I mean, any any profit ILM made went back, back into ILM. Right. Like, he constantly would churn that, that money back into itself. So he was so focused on getting the business side going from 80 to 80 you know, from 79 to 83, that it was easier for him to give that up. Fast forward to 1997, 98, it's solely his company. It's running like a top. He's got, you know, he's not building anything at this point. You know, it's all him. And he can devote his 100% full attention to it because he's got nothing else going on. Plus, they were, I mean, um, they're instrumental in t- you know, the THX sound system. Sure. Uh, Skywalker sound and editing speed right. is like the world class, you know, uh, cinematic uh, editing uh, location. I mean, it went yeah. through two, uh, two or three different permutations: the Skywalker Ranch, like you said, with the Presidio and everything, and now they moved again. So, I mean, there was a lot going on. They had a software company too. Remember that? Oh yeah, Lucas Arts. Lucas Arts, right? Lucas Arts, yeah. Well, he yeah. gave up Pixar. I mean, he, yeah. He gave up Pixar, and I think I think that's a decision he regretted because oh, I really, yeah. you know, he he didn't see movie making going in that direction, and the, until it did, um, and then he pretty much you know repioneered it. But it, you know, they always say that like you look at Jurassic Park, and Spielberg was technically the director of Jurassic Park, but he was making that movie while he was making Schindler's List, and so a lot of people say that Lucas pretty much directed Jurassic Park. It, Everything in there that was all the creature effects and the digital stuff, that was all him. Like, he cut all that together and, and had a big hand in that. Um, and Spielberg came in and did, you know, the other stuff that, you know, wasn't second unit or whatever. So, you know, that was the experience that really told him, hey, I can do what I wanted to do with these Star Wars movies, which is why I haven't made one in 16 years, because, you know, the technology is now there. I can I can do all this crazy stuff. Well, but, and, and if you think back to where he... Uh, you, you know, when they did the re-releases of Star Wars, I mean, he was doing all those small enhances, enhancements and stuff like that, mostly because yeah. he, he could, you know, that he was could the dry have run, right? Yeah. Fixing I mean, up he the could have Han, Han yeah. uh, Greedo you know, shot first, have, Han shot first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, remember that whole thing. And I don't know if you've ever, you've ever seen that footage again, where, uh, where they have Han kind of moved to the side a little bit. It looks it's so ridiculous now. It's terrible. Yeah, it ridiculous. looks so it's terrible now. But I guess Lucas, uh, I mean, I guess he has, hand, I mean, he has handed the reins over to someone else. 
I mean, we now have fresh eyes on it. That's what Force Awakens well, it's is not these, be. It's not that he's handed it. He he sold it. Yeah, I mean, he sold it. I think I think he kind of realized, eh. You know. Yeah, he's come out recently and said, you know, basically, I can't make the movie I wanted to make that, you know, whenever you try and do what it is you want to do, there's always somebody to criticize. And I, I think he's just like, you know, I, that's not what I want to do. I want to do experimental films that nobody wants to see. He's building that crazy museum uh, near Millennium Park in Chicago that uh, that's going up. That's going to be basically like the George Lucas Museum to mostly his films and stuff. And I can't, I can't wait to, to check that out when it's done. Cause it'll probably be really interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I saw that but, interview too with him and, and, you know, talking about the, yeah, I want to do experimental stuff. And I think JJ and him did have some talks though. I think there was some creative conceptual conversations that happened between the two of them before JJ took it over the whole way wasn't there i mean yeah they yeah they scrapped um, for, depending on who you talk to they pretty much scrapped all that like he had original i i guess if 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 it's understood you know talking listening to things from mark hamill and things like that th- he was gonna come back and do another set of movies um or was seriously considering it before the disney takeover thing and so he had some outlines and some ideas and stuff like that. And I think pretty much once, yeah, JJ came in and Larry Kasdan came in, they pretty much scrapped that. Cause I guess was it Markle Arndt had written a, a draft of the screenplay and I think Lucas actually hired him to do it. So, I mean, there, there was, there was something, you know, around from, from prior to JJ coming on. And, and I think all that stuff kind of got, yeah, got there was right. a script by Michael Arndt. You're right. Yeah. Uh, that, but I don't think that's what they, that's not what they went with with JJ. And then yeah. in between, they declared that the EU doesn't exist anymore. Well, I think they just needed. Yeah, I mean, it would. Ha- they had to. I mean, yeah, they had to clean given what we. That. Yeah, I mean, given yeah. what we know about this movie, it, there's no way that stuff can. I mean, I think, I think it's a situation where they can pick and choose. I think there's some stuff that'll probably fit in, but I think there's some stuff. There's majority of it that won't, and you know that's fine. I mean, plus it gives the storytellers it, freedom. Sure. Like, right. I mean, you got he, JJ on this one. You got and, Ryan Johnson on the next movie, and then oh, uh, who's it? Clyde, Tri- Clyde, or Cl- Colin Trevorrow? Co- Colin Trevorrow. Right on the on the next one. It gives them freedom to tell the story that they want to tell. They don't. They're not. You know, they're not slavish to that continuity. You know, they don't have to be. And then, like like Russ says, they can pick and choose if they want to use parts of it. You know, they're it's there. You know, but they don't have to be a slave to it. And I think it's yeah. a good way to move. You know, so, plus I mean, they're going to have the side movies like Rogue One and the you know the the rumored Boba Fett movie and the rumored Young Han Solo movie and things that might not fit as well with the EU as well. And it gives them freedom to make those too. So the only canon then, right yeah, now and, going and, into and, this. this and the, no, I was going to say the only canon going into this movie is the six before it. That's it. The six before the it, one. the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, and, and a couple I mean, of okay. comic books and Star Wars okay. Battlefront. Yeah, and and a couple books they've they've written. I forget the the book that's come out Aftermath. recently. That okay. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. JJ inspired stuff. That's not that, well. I mean, it fits it's in the new canon. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it fits. Yeah, it fits in. I mean. Yeah, and, and the EU, it's so vast. The, the uh, it's so vast that um you know chances are the movie would contradict something that in the existing yeah, I mean, EU. So those, we had those books are there, you know. I mean, we had twenty five yeah. years of of really good stories, and yeah. so now we'll get another twenty five years of really good stories. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean those, but you could still read all that stuff. It's good. I mean, most of it is good. Some of it is not so good, but yeah. but a lot of it's good. I mean. 
you know, it brought you joy when you needed it, right? It was just. <laughs> It was a dark time. <laughs> there was nothing. Problem. I already got over this problem back when Splinter of the Mind's Eye came out between Star Wars yeah. and Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And I was crushed to find out that wasn't going to be the next movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, before Heir to the Empire, there was really nothing. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing. Yeah, I remember, like, uh, there was Splinter of the Mind's Eye, there was Han Solo at Star's End. Yeah. Like oh. series. There's was, there was three books. Yeah, the three Del books. Rey. Yeah. The Del Rey books. Mm-hmm. Brian Cook is the writer. But uh, yeah, there was had... there was nothing. And then you think about the whole continuity that Marvel spun out from its comics. Oh, it yeah. Has, like nothing, almost nothing to do. Like Jabba the Hutt looks totally different. And there's uh, <laughs> Green Talking Rabbits and there's a whole different storyline. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And the movie and the movie adaptations were, were in there. Like one through six were A New Hope. And like I think 40 something through 50 something were Empire Strikes Back. So I mean, they were like. You know, that that was at the time that was like this is what happened between these movies kind of thing. So that's how I got spoiled in Empire. Yeah. Well are we uh are we good? Do we have we have we episode one out? Or are we are we Phantom <laughs> Menaced? Oh my Phantom has been menaced. I'm yeah. sure it has. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm glad it exists. Yeah, me too. Do you think I Jar Jar's gonna be in the Force Awakens or no? No, <laughs> no. We'll never see him again. Really? Because I think yeah. that would be the ultimate twist. No, no. You know, JJ. So you know what? The fans hate this. We got to do a little cameo of, of Jar Jar just just to what? throw Kylo him in. Yeah, okay, is. yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out like him in the background somewhere or a, you know? or a Gungan somewhere. A gun, but, right, something. But yeah, but any, of any kind of prominence, uh, no. Okay, no. I don't, I don't mean I don't mean main. Just 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 to tease the the, the fans a little bit. Say so here here you go, guys. I, Here's a little. I wouldn't put it past. Okay, him. I you know, I I could totally see someone visiting like Jar Jar's grave site or something like that. You know, like <laughs> oh, he... I still like. Oh, I still I'm just visiting up... an old friend. I still want to say, everybody, look it up on Reddit. The the Jar Jar Sith Lord theory. I mean, it, it really <laughs> oh, does Lord. hold water if you think about it. That was pretty funny. Yeah, uh, I, I did see that one. All right. Well, that about does it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, so this is episode one, mostly, with, with some detours, which is fine. Uh, you know, the purpose was to just kind of have a, have a discussion over, you know, what we thought. Uh, so we'll be back very shortly as you're listening to this, probably a few days. We'll do episode two. Um, and we'll probably be pumping these out probably like two a week-ish until, uh, until episode seven, The Force Awakens. So, um, so Craig, uh, Frank, Jim, thanks for... Uh, Thanks for chatting. Thanks for having us. Mm-hmm. Had a great time. Yeah, maybe Bill will join us next time. <laughs> <laughs>